0: Okay, so we're going to finish off chapter 6 of John today. It's going to be verses 60 through 71, I believe. So I don't know if you guys have noticed, but this is not really a chapter that you're going to hear Joel Osteen preach on, uh, and I think that's for good reason here. Uh, as we as we finish this out, we'll kind of put a capstone on it. But I mean, this is not the uh, this is not the set of verses for somebody who thinks that God is just a vending machine. Uh, it just definitely doesn't preach that. Uh, so 60 through 64 is what we'll start here. And it says, "So then many of his disciples, when they heard this, and remember what they had just heard, they had heard that he was he's the bread of life, that not like the bread that your ancestors had, the manna from heaven that they would eat every day that would only sustain them for a day, but that he was the bread of life that would sustain you for eternity." Um, they this is what they had just heard. So when they heard this, This statement, they said, This statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, Is this offensive to you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. So like I said, in in this chapter, everything in here points to Jesus being somebody that they did not anticipate Him being. He wasn't going to bring in this earthly messianic kingdom where they overthrow the Romans and they establish their sovereignty. Um, It wasn't going to be that kind of thing. It wasn't going to be something like how when when Jesus had just fed the 5,000, where He was constantly going to be giving them this free food, this manna from heaven to sustain them every day. It wasn't going to be that. But He kept pointing that it would be a spiritual fulfillment. An eternal principle, not a material earthly. So, like I said earlier, it's not like where you hear with these name it and claim it type of ministries where, you know, God wants you to be wealthy, God wants you to never be sick, uh, you know, these kind of things. Uh, these ideas that we have on how life should be. That's not what Jesus is pointing to here. I mean, you've got to remember, He resurrected Lazarus, and then Lazarus probably was killed by the Jews. Uh, things are not always perfect on this, on this earth for us. That's a really important thing, because this, like I said, this chapter is really something to ground us into what being a Christian is all about. Sometimes we will suffer on this earth. That's part of being a Christian. And to be honest, I've, I think anybody can relate to this. Uh, you will have had suffering in your life before you became a Christian, and you will have some type of suffering in your life after you've become a Christian. The difference is, when you're on that road, who is with you? When Christ is with you, it's a different experience, and it's a different outlook at the end of it all. We live in a time where, as far as Christians go, we're pretty spoiled. We have it really good. When you compare it to the first century Christians, Nero had some of them in, in his garden parties and he was using them as torches. People were being fed to lions. We've heard all these stories. They're not just stories, they're true. Some Christians had it really, really bad. So the question becomes, what if this really good life that we have now what if it's gone tomorrow? I don't know if you guys have ever watched it, but uh, there's an old 80s movie. It's called Testament. Not, I don't think it was vastly popular. But it's about this, uh, this small community in California. I think it's like supposed to be an hour or two outside of a big city. And what happens is, this was during the, uh, during the Cold War... So Russia and the U.S. at some point in the earliest part of this movie, they fire off some nukes at each other. So, you know, the, the thing that everyone was fearing happens. All of a sudden this little community is isolated. There's no more goings in and outs because the major city next to them was probably destroyed. And then people start getting sick from the nuclear fallout. Okay. And it sounds like it's a big downer. It is a big downer. The movie is very sad. But the movie portrays something that people have to keep their faith no matter what's going on. And you see in the movie, some people did, and some people didn't. So the sufferings are a test for our faith. Because everybody can believe in God when you're getting all the good blessings and everything is going just the way you want it. But can you believe in God? Can you trust in God? when the fallout happens, if something like that was to occur. And it's not always something so cataclysmic. Can you still believe in God when you get the cancer diagnosis? When you have a stroke? When your spouse dies? These normal things that happen in our lives. Because it's not about the material things as Jesus is saying here. It's about the eternal principles. So, Jesus even tells His people here, His followers, because they were so offended by the, the idea of Him being the bread of life, things like that. He says, if this offends you, what are you going to think when you see Me in My glory? What are you going to think when you have to answer to Me in judgment at a certain point? You know, the, verse 63 could basically be a summation for the whole chapter where it says the Spirit, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. And like we said, the, the words that he spoke were that you have to come to him for eternal life. So we are not to be afraid if Jesus is with us. He's trying to push this nonstop to let these people know this. But they keep wanting these material things. That's what they want. And so he tells them, like we had seen, don't work for food that perishes, but for that which gives eternal life. He, the Son who has the Father's seal upon him, will give this to you. If you want eternal life, we have to go to Jesus. Not to sacraments, not to rituals, things like that, that these people would have been normally used to. But listen to this, what he says in 64. This is a really poignant verse here. In verse 64 he says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. Now we know when He's talking about the betrayal, He's talking about Judas. But notice everyone else. He knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. Jesus knows when we're faking it. That is the key here. He knows when you're playing church. He knows if you go, well, I like this, this, and this, but I don't believe that. There's no way He said that. Jesus knows when we're faking it. You know, we were just talking about this before church, how some people, they can, they can have faith, they, they know who God is. They believe that Jesus is who He says He is. But because there are certain principles that go along with it, they say, well, but I can't follow Him all the way. That part's too much for me. Jesus knows when you're doing this. He knows all of that. Some people think that they're beyond the scope of Jesus' grasp. Like, like they can go tomorrow, tonight and say, well, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set Jesus aside for just, just tonight, and I'm going to go and do what I want to do, and then I'll come back in the morning, I'll repent, and it's all going to be good to go. They think that maybe that they have a sin that Jesus can't conquer, or maybe they just like to play the church deal, that it feels good to be a part of something. But Jesus wants full submission. He doesn't want just to play, church. What good is that? That's why we talk so much here about being reborn, about about being replenished daily in the Word, about being full of thanksgiving for everything that you have, not just on Thanksgiving, not just on that holiday, about having true repentance. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for what you did. It's changing your mind. Changing your mind and turning the other way. And to live those commandments that Christ talks of. The loving God above all else, and to love your neighbor. Let's look at 65 and 66 here. Where it says, and he was saying, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless he is." It has been granted to him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples left and would, no, and would no longer walk with him. So once again, Jesus tells these people, I don't care if you are of the genetics of Abraham. That doesn't save you. Nowadays, for us, it would be, it would be like saying, I don't care if, if your dad was a 50-year Christian. That doesn't save you. You have to believe. But these people left him. These people said that this teaching was too much, this bread of life, this refusal to feed the 5,000 again, most likely. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say that a lot of these people probably came back. Uh, surely they saw him on the cross. <clears throat> Now part of this, obviously, is that the Jewish leaders were there during this. The Jewish leaders are keeping people, are trying to persuade people to not follow Christ. And then you couple that with Jesus discouraging, following Him for material things, and people just said, well, you know, maybe this isn't all it was cracked up to be. But this is that lesson for us today, that we have to follow Christ, that we have to teach, we have to stand up for Christian values. We have to teach Christian values even if people leave us. Because we could stand up here and we could teach all sorts of strange, worldly principles and we could probably fill fill the pews pretty quick. We could probably have a hundred people packed in here but we'd lose our soul in in the process. And that can happen on the individual level, that can happen at the family level. And this is why it's just, it's so important to have a godly household. Uh, you, it's your responsibility to teach your children. It's your responsibility to teach them these principles. It's your responsibility to show them how to pray. All these things. Because nobody's going to do it for you. 67 through uh, 69 here. So Jesus said to the twelve, "You do not want to leave, also, do you?" Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we already and we have already believed and come to know that you are the whole, the Holy One of God." So Jesus knew it's not like he didn't know what his followers were going to say, but he says this in almost a rhetorical way. So are you going to leave too? after all this massive crowd had departed. And a lot is said in a few verses here. A lot is said here. So to follow Jesus here is not to win a popularity contest. The popular people all left. They all took off. So to follow Jesus was not going to make their life easier. When you think back to this, many of these apostles, they probably had families. We know at the very least that Peter did. And most Jewish men at that time, if they had families, they would have had kids. So yeah, you know, these people are living their life and then will sign me up for persecution while I have a family to provide for still, right? But this, they said, where else are we going to go? Peter's answer speaks volumes on here. He says, Lord, who, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If Christ has the, the words of eternal life, where else can you go? <clears throat> you got to remember that Scripture says that Christ is the only way to the Father. There is nowhere else that they could have gone. There is nowhere else that we can go. The Jews needed Christ, and we need Christ. There are so many pseudo-Christians today that will tell you that there are many paths to God. You'll see them on television interviews where somebody will ask, you know, is, is Jesus the only way to salvation? And they, they, they either won't answer it, or they'll say, well, you know, there are many paths to God. And if that's true, then the Bible's false. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. So the question is if we stand up for what the Bible says here. <clears throat> There's no other belief system under the sun that can save us. They can't all be true because Christ rules that out in His own words. Okay, God rules that out when He says that He is the only way. So are we... Peter says that we are not worshiping some fabricated idol like the Jews did so many times before, like in the book of Judges, when they're out or when they were out in the desert. This, this really mirrors Matthew 16, where Simon Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had found, and it's profound that Peter is the one that says this because so many times Peter goofs up and we make fun of him. Uh, we really shouldn't because he he's just another person. But Peter had found who was in Genesis 1. A verse that they would have studied a lot. He found that in the beginning, he now knew when. God, he knew who. He had met this God. Created, he knew that it was a personal action from a personal God that he was spending time with. The God had created the heavens and the earth, the cosmos, the time, space, the matter that makes up everything, our dwelling. But not only had he met who did that, he met who would solve man's dilemma on earth and would do it without compromising who God is. And what I mean by that is he would he would soon, very, very soon find out. That though man is sinful, that the sacrificial animals in the temple was no longer going to be enough. That being a sinful people, that we were, we are unholy and unworthy of heaven. But he would soon see on the cross that God was going to do something. He was going to see that God would bridge the gap between man and heaven. And that God would keep His attributes. He would still be... Holy. He would still be merciful and he would still be just because Christ went on the cross, because he would pay our price. You know, in Matthew 27 46, it says on the ninth hour that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would see Jesus on this cross suffering and then. The later epistles that we get would make so much sense, such as Romans 4 where it says, He who was delivered over because of our wrongdoings and then raised for our justification. Peter had found who that was. Whom shall he go to other than that? How could he go anywhere else? Peter knew this was his Lord. He knew that there would be difficulties on his path as he would eventually find out when he's crucified upside down later. And he would find out, and he already seemed to have known, that the spiritual was so much more important than the material because he had Jesus the Messiah and his God there. I'm going to cover the last two verses here and then we'll close this out. Uh, 70 and 71 says here, Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So the Greek word for devil here is diabolos, and it has a couple different meanings. Sometimes it's used as a slanderer or a false accuser. Uh, Obviously here it's most likely being used uh, as Satan. Which we know that Judas was being directly influenced by Satan. Now there there was a Judas there. And there are Judases here in our day as well. That has not stopped. Sometimes there are Judases in the pews. Sometimes they are just out in the community. Sometimes they're in the pulpit. That can happen too. This is why it's so important to be in your Word, to be in your prayers with your Lord, to be in worship. Because if you don't, how are you going to have discernment to know when you have somebody false like that leading beside you? Because look at the disciples. Have you ever noticed? There's a couple different times when Jesus says this to them, that there was somebody amongst them that was going to betray them. Look what happens in Matthew 26.20. This is at the uh, Last Supper. where he says, uh, It says, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and they were eating, and He said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray Me. So he, said, he tells it to them again. And then being deeply grieved, they began to say to Him, each one of them said to Him, Surely it is not I, Lord. They had no idea that it was Judas. Isn't that the funny thing? I mean, these people have been together for a long time. They did not know that Judas was who he said, who, who he was going to be. Hey, what are you doing, Missy? <laughs> they didn't know. The discernment wasn't there. Now, granted, this was ordained to happen. It was going to happen. But still, it's, it's quite telling that they were with Judas this long and they had no clue. But this was ordained. psalm forty one nine uh, says even even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Judas chose the things that Christ was railing against. Judas went that way. Judas chose the world. He chose that money, remember? He's paid. Over an eternal relationship with God, who he was witnessing, he was witnessing miracles of, but he couldn't see it. But Judas is hes famous for his choices, but he's not unique by any means. Every one of us has a choice. Every one of our children will have a choice. All of our siblings, our parents, we either choose this world or we choose heaven. So we believe that Jesus is king a lot of people believe that Jesus is king but they don't follow him so the key here is something that we've talked about before of that believe that or believe in when it comes to Jesus because you can believe that Jesus is lord all day long you can believe it for 80 years but if you don't believe in him where is your salvation It's gonna be in your works and you're gonna fail.